The word from my title today, followership, it's a little trendy in leadership writing circles at the moment. And for that reason, I'd kind of avoided paying much attention to it. That and the reason that, you know, for leaders, it seems a little self-serving. Followership, why it's so important to be good followers. Of course, leaders are going to think that, right? They want good followers. But things have shifted for me. A, a deeper understanding of followership, thanks in part to, um, to our, the Beloved Conversations virtual program in which I and uh, several other people here at UUCPA are participating right now. Um, and I want to tell a story about what can happen when those tapped as leaders learn to follow. My story, in large part, and the story of some others as well. See, I've had it firmly in my mind for a long time that the people of a congregation are the heart of its leadership. I wrote my my Master's of Divinity thesis on the theology and practice of lay leadership. I chose a church that wanted a collaborative style of leadership, which, face it, is 99% of UU churches. We're not big on following. We're kind of, you know, the famous herd of cats that resist coming along altogether. And I chose a church as well where the Lay leadership was really talented and, and active and, and knew how much they had to offer. Which is also common in UU congregations, although I like to think that uh, we're out, out in front, so to speak, on that. And it's actually interesting that UU congregations are so often made up of a lot of people who see themselves as leaders. Our congregation's pews or chairs tend to be filled with people like me, people who were taught that their voices matter, that they are smart and savvy and worth listening to. People who don't need the first hymn that we sang to tell them that they are somebody. They hear it a lot. Lots of us, lots of you, did not have that experience, or it's very mixed. Many of us are more accustomed to the margins. Either way, I hope that hearing a little bit about my journey will help you. <clears throat> Although I didn't think of myself as a leader for a very long time, the first 45, 50 years of my life, in many ways, I was trained to think of myself as just that. I had parents, I have parents, who bless them, have told me in explicit and implicit ways all the time that I can be and do anything I set my mind to. I was welcome, my voice was welcome in adult gatherings, even when I was a child and a teenager. I was taught how to speak in public how to share my views with a large group of people by the way that our educational system taught it um, and my own bat mitzvah speech when I was 12 years old. 
And then, of course, most of the leaders I saw around me looked and lived very much as I did, with the notable difference that few of them were female. <clears throat> they were mostly white, uh, with a lot of formal education. They spoke standard English. They tended to be able-bodied. They were clearly dressed in new clothes of current fashion. And in all those ways, they, like me, were told they were smart, they were important. Being smart, seeing oneself as important, were the things that mattered most. In this, there was a strong contrast with some of my peers. For example, one I've discovered recently, just about my age, a woman named uh, Mary Dana Hinton, <coughs> who was told explicitly and in every other way that she did not belong at center stage, the place of leadership. She grew up poor in rural North Carolina, female African-American, where she lived in the rural South, black people like herself, when they spoke up with authority, when they claimed a spot of leadership, they could be told explicitly and with an explicit threat to back it up, who do you think you are? There, in the 1970s and 80s, they would hear, she would hear, get back in your place. Your place is the margins. Better believe it. Better stick to them. And when Mary Dana Hinton went to her guidance counselor for advice on applying to college, the counselor told her straight out that as a black woman, college was not a realistic option for her. Some of us need that hymn that we sang at the beginning. Some of us need to be told we are somebody because so much around us is saying that we're not that we're nobody. I'm wondering at this moment when, where you situate yourself <clears throat> in these stories, whether you've noticed yourself mostly on the margins or mostly in the center, whether there are some forces putting you in one place and some in the other. Is there a movement going on in you between those two places and where you find yourself now? Are you told, and do you believe, that you can speak before thousands? Or must you give only from the margins? Where, as well as we sang, you can give from deep within you and change the world with your love. I've had some stages, several stages I'd like to share with you on my learning about leadership and followership, followership, my movement between the center and the margins. One such stage was when I encountered the expression, I don't know when, but a long time ago, nothing 
about us without us. People saying when decisions are being made that concern us, that shape our lives, that are made sometimes with great intentions on our behalf, we need to be there. You can't do it without us. We need to be there at the center of the process. Our voices need to be at the center. Nothing about us without us. That little mnemonic making it a rhyme seems to have worked. It's stuck in my head. And then another stage for me has been reading the history and the stories that had been mostly omitted from my education. Uh, with the exceptions of a few teachers, a couple teachers who said, you know what, you need, this is not in our curriculum, but here's some things you should read. For example, uh, histories and, and fiction coming from the so-called third world. The stories told by often my peers and my predecessors, people like Dr. Hinton telling their stories, voices from the margins, like Marta Valentin's. Then when I was in college, I had uh, an experience, I who lived so much at the center, a sudden moment of, of being um, and the margins and a little window into what that could be like. <clears throat> that too was an important stage in my understanding of followership and leadership, the margins and the centers. Let me tell you the story briefly. I was studying, lucky me, in an abroad program in a small town in India. There were 25 of us uh, students from, uh, from the United States. Uh, about half female and half male, and um, while India is a wonderful place, liberating in many, many ways, there was a form of open patriarchal uh, authority there that most of us had not been accustomed to. And that played out in the fact that when we women walked, especially alone, but even in the company just of other women, through the town, sometimes we would be subject to catcalls. Sometimes worse, one woman was groped from a man, by a man moving by on a bicycle, which was a frightening and painful experience. We just knew this was part of what we needed to deal with um, as women and US women in this society. And we developed ways of coping with it together, including talking about it openly among our whole program. Well, one of the men found this very hard to believe. He said, what? That never happens. I've never seen that. We explained it didn't happen when he was along. That the protection, the presence of a man kept other men from harassing us. And so, no, he didn't see it. But we assured him when he wasn't there, this was our reality. And even so, he found it very hard to believe. It was in one of those moments that I know people who live on the margins experience all the time of trying to say, I know my reality. Here's what it is for me. And somebody who, at that moment, in our experience right there, was at the center saying, I don't believe it because I haven't seen it. Another important learning for me, another stage in my education on followership, was the expression that one hears often in Unitarian Universalist gatherings um, as we're in small groups and trying to learn how to, uh, to share well together. Take space, make space. Meaning, if you're a person who tends to uh, hang back, to be shy about speaking, to kind of watch what's happening in the room, 
maybe you can challenge yourself to take a little more space, move into the center, and um, take up a little more room, raise your voice. While those of us who speak a lot, who take up a lot of space, who are confident speaking in a group, maybe we can make space, maybe we can move ourselves to the margins a little and let people know that they can have center stage for a while. That was an important learning for me, one I'm still working on. And then there was something that happened a few years back. I learned this from a colleague uh, who was speaking about what was going on in her church as I was speaking about what was going on here in ours. We share these thoughts and, and, and what's going on, and she said that what was happening in her church was the welcoming congregation committee was, um, was trying to expand their work much like ours is doing. The Welcoming Congregation Program is, uh, is one by which Unitarian Universalist congregations proactively and consciously welcome LGBTQIA folks. And um, so that means some changes for, for policy and the group in her congregation asked to meet with the board. She was frustrated because the board chair said, why should we have them to our board meeting? But what has really stuck in my mind all these years, and as much as those little rhyming mnemonics about taking space and making space and nothing about us without us. What stuck in my mind was what she reported that she said to him. She said, because they asked you to. Because they asked you to. They said, please welcome us at the board meeting. We have something to say to you from the margins. And that's why you do it. You who are at the center, who are in leadership in this organization, because they asked you to. For me now at this moment, that is often how I know what I'm called to do as a leader and a follower. I do something because someone asked me to, someone on the margin, someone with that better view of what concerns them and those for whom they advocate. That's all I need to know. I don't need to agree with what they propose. I don't need to think it's the best thing to do. I do it because they asked me to. This is hard learning from those of us trained to be at the center. And if you're listening from the margins and thinking how many times you've tried to do that and people didn't listen, yeah, it goes against all the training. Here's the voice that pops into my mind, my own voice, sometimes at those moments. When I'm there, I've shown up because somebody has asked me to. I'm at the meeting, and I'm thinking, are they making the best decisions? Will they always make the best decisions? Of course not. Humans don't. Even when we're smart, even when we've learned lots about the issues, and even when we're deciding about something in our own self-interest, we're not always sure what to do, and we sometimes get it wrong. Do I need to cite the evidence of a dozen elections to prove that? The strategies that we choose might not be the ones that serve us best. Hey, that's human nature. And so, when I'm trying to be a follower, an ally, and the thought comes to my mind, as it does embarrassingly often, hey, I like strategy A, and they're proposing strategy B, and maybe I should raise my hand and suggest doing it my way. 
another wiser voice, and a rather unlikely one, whispers in my ear. It's the voice of Winston Churchill, who said, one of the wisest things I know about leadership and its pitfalls. He said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. Why is democracy so flawed? For one thing, because it's leadership by the people, and the people make bad decisions for thoughtless reasons. We get it wrong. But his voice whispers in my ear, what do you imagine would be better? So will the people who have been relegated to the margins for so long always make good decisions? No. But Amy, my friend Winston says to me, what would be a better way? Do you really think you could make a better decision for them than they could? Or should you maybe follow their lead? Hmm. We are in the middle, I hope. I hope we are at the beginning of a huge cultural shift. It, this is true of our denomination. It's true, I hope, of our country. A huge cultural shift of a movement between the margins and the center, between who has been following and who has been leading. Native Americans are leading the way on protecting water and turning us away from fossil fuels, and non-Native people are following, including, right here at UUCPA, our own Geraldine Moran. I shared this with her permission. She wasn't too embarrassed. She was asked. The call went out from indigenous folks in Minnesota who were fighting against line three, against expansion of fossil fuel use. The call went out, come and be with us. This is how you can help. We need you to show up. We need your presence. And Jerry was one who showed up. And to allow oneself to be led in that way. Uh, Jerry, for those who don't know her, is white. As far as I know, she is not native. She was saying, this is what they need. I'm gonna follow their leadership. And by doing so, she became a leader among all of us in this congregation. People of color led organizations like Reclaim Our Vote and like Fair Fight, uh, created by Stacey Abrams, who was our guest, one of our guest speakers via um, the UUA several weeks ago. Organizations like this are saying, this is what we think will work to overcome racism, to overcome voter suppression aimed especially at people like us. And this is how we need your help, all of you especially white people. And white people are following, writing postcards, saying, tell us how we can help and we will do it. Even when they might have other thoughts about other strategies, they're saying, I'm gonna follow an organization that is led by people of color as they address a problem that has beset them for generations. Maybe they know better than I do what's helping, what can help, and I'm going to do it. A huge shift, and not an easy one. Shifts, big cultural shifts never are easy for the people who've been on the margins of these changes or these people who've been in the center. And people like 
Mary Dana Hinton are presidents of colleges, bringing the perspective from the margins to positions of leadership. Women are leading, LGBTQIA people are leading without hiding their identities. And just as importantly, many of us who have been trained to be at the center, to think of ourselves as the ones who should be speaking to the press, who should be writing and appearing on television, not the ones just supporting, just in a supporting role. Many of us are learning what a big difference we can make by following, by listening instead of speaking, by asking, how can I help you, and doing it by leaving center stage and doing what is most needed. And I just learned a beautiful example from Arizona via Beloved Conversations. Beloved Conversations Virtual is this program offered by Meadville Lombard, a Unitarian Universalist seminary in Chicago and um, backed by the UUA. And as I said, <clears throat> many of us here are um, involved in it right now. Just last week, uh, they shared a story from Arizona of a, um, a Latinx-led uh, organization. Many of the people in this organization, leading this organization, are, they are on the margins in so many ways. They're undocumented, they're poor, they speak English as a second language, they're brown, they're Native American. And they said, to their white allies, including a UU organization there in Arizona, an organization like our own um, UU Justice Ministry of California. They said, we need you, UUs, to show up, and we need you to do childcare. That was a real challenge for Unitarian Universalists, people who are oftentimes not undocumented, poor, speaking English as their second language, brown, Native American, and who think of themselves as the ones who could be out leading the protests, speaking to the press. And this organization said, what we most need is while we speak to the press and lead the protests, somebody to take care of our children whom we can trust. So we know that they are safe and secure and taken care of so we can show up. And this made me so proud. The Unitarian Universalists in Arizona they did it. They showed up and they helped in the way that they were told by the people formerly on the margins, this is what would be most helpful. Which really gets us back to the whole purpose of leadership. I mean, what, what is it all about? What, what does it even mean, leadership? Isn't it about getting desirable things done? Isn't it about accomplishing one's aims? That's what it's for. Everything else is just the way that we get there. Whether you do provide child, child, child care or write a postcard or speak to the press or be one of 10,000 bodies marching in the street, whatever it is, the whole purpose is to accomplish our aims. So if the best way to help bring about one's aims is to follow, then good followership is good leadership. Or turning it around, at that moment, what a good leader does is follow. So wherever you are at this moment, at any given moment, because in some places we can be on the margins and in some in the center, in some ways we feel ourselves to be marginalized and in some 
given the limelight which we may or may not want. Wherever we are, let us know where is the place for me to be right now? How can I best be a leader? By following those who say, here's what we need, or by taking center stage? May we discern what is most needed for us to achieve our aims, because our aims, friends, they're important and holy and good. So may we do.